Reading from the Gospel of our Lord today, according to Matthew, almost finished with year A in the liturgy cycle, so we're almost ready to move away from Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Occasionally in my planning, my sermon titles kind of get ahead of where my mind is. And you may have already noticed that sometimes my sermon titles don't have all that much to do with what I have to say. And I kind of want to warn you in advance that the sermon I first planned on Putting together is not the one that I've come up here with today. So, it is still about holy wistfulness, just not directly. So if you're looking for the connection, it's kind of weak. Hear these words, however. Out of love for the truth and from desire to elucidate it, the Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and Sacred Theology and Ordinary Lecturer therein at Wittenberg, intends to defend the following statements and to dispute on them in that place. Therefore, he asks that those who cannot be present and dispute with him orally shall do so in their absence by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Imagine, if you will, if Father Luther would have had access to Twitter. 503 years ago this coming Saturday, Luther used his day's equivalent. He posted his 95 theses statements, almost all of them 280 characters or less, on the university chapel door in Wittenberg, Germany. And the rest, they say, is history. Change agents existed in the church before Luther, but you can make a pretty good argument that the level of discontent in 1517 provided a fertile field for the acceptance of Luther's actions and teachings. On that October 31st, the teeter tottered. 
rebellion against the religious status quo blossomed and the church of Jesus Christ has not been the same since. Truth is, for about 450 of those 503 years, we Christians continued to fight the sometimes bloody church battles. We'd like to wish that history away, but we cannot. Luther himself, even though a faithful priest who only wanted to return the church to its true nature, worked for the remainder of his days under extreme threat from his superiors. Even though some of you don't care one lick about Reformation history, I want to make a few points about why it is important for us now. First point, the Presbyterian family of churches, that would include us, directly descends from Luther's prodding. Folks like Aldrich Zwingli, John Calvin, John Knox, and a stable full of my Dutch forebears were inspired by Father Luther to renew church in ways a bit different from him. Luther's tweets, however, served a role in the church similar to, what, to that which Jefferson's jolt in the Declaration of Independence provided for our nascent nation. We are who we are in the Presbyterian Church for good or ill, and there's a little bit of both, significantly because of Father Luther. Second, Luther cannot claim to be the first reformer among God's people. Person after person appears in human history who accepts the challenge of leading God's people from this place to that one. Who among the Hebrew nation thought that they could take Moses' place as they waited to wade into the Jordan on their way to the promised land? And remember, Moses didn't really want the job either when God came calling at the burning bush. Joshua didn't volunteer. Yes, Moses had tapped him as a valued assistant, but to become the next Moses? Not what he signed up for. I can, I can imagine the ask in my mind. Moses, come on, Josh, it'll be no big deal. Just hang around with me and do what I tell you. Joshua, yeah, I've seen what happens when folks volunteer for your committee. The last group got us 40 more years in the desert. Moses, laying hands on Joshua. Listen, you little whippersnapper. Don't keep bringing up that story. You got this. Joshua, I see you've given me a lot of options. Joshua's chapter in leadership would be as different from Moses's as possible, going from desert wanderers to settled residents, renewing church for sure, a long-ago step in our own faith history. 
Generation after generation and eon after eon passed by, and Jesus showed up in the Galilean countryside. His message? Let's, let's try something new. I know we punt when it comes to being more like Jesus, in part because he had some qualities that we don't and can't possess. Yet, when Jesus was moving across the face of the earth, he was functioning primarily as a human-type being, just like you and me. His challenge? He called God's people to be faithful to the ancient traditions. Love God. Love neighbor. Just like the law and the prophets have stated for millennia. And he called them to be open to the fresh, uncontrolled, stimulating, frightening movement of the Holy Spirit. No more resting on the laurels of the way things were, but vigorously figuring out how God was calling people to apply those laws in the world in which they currently lived. Finally, Luther was not the last reformer to walk the face of the earth. The large limb of reformed churches holds to a durable model, motto, Ecclesia Reformata Simpor Reformanda Est. You've heard me say that before. Translation, renewing church for a new world. Well, sort of, actually. Sometimes we forget. Occasionally, we get stuck. What Third Church is endeavoring to, to do mirrors what God's people have been called to do since Joshua and Jesus and Martin Luther, since forever. We travel through seasons when we do this well, through times of consolidation, through times of rest, through periods of pruning. It remains our trumpet call to attack the future with hope, expectation, and energy. This is not what we do once in a while when we need a shot of adrenaline or when a pastor leaves. Semper Reformanda, renewing church, describes our congregational genetic makeup. One of my interim tasks is to dig into and assess what a, tree, a church dreams about its, itself, to prod you, to decide if your visions ring true and reflect the spirit of communal life. I have been employing that phrase, renewing church for a new world, which we as staff and other members of the congregation developed. It wasn't new or unique to me. But I've been using it liberally in my preaching and writing because it does capture the essence of what the necessities of life have forced us to do. Do you all fully embrace the sentiment? No. Because 
You worry about losing the traditions that made you who you are. Some others of you chafe because you believe that the grand hope for revitalization, the motto envisions, is a monumental task in the age of COVID-19. Truth is, the tension Joshua lived in, and Jesus, and Martin Luther, and now we too changes. The tension changes, but tensions always remain. We can fuss and fume and complain and even walk away. But our Reformation heritage and genetic makeup will always call us back to our challenging dual task, standing on traditions in our effort to embrace an unfolding future. It fits well, I believe. It fits well that we are honoring our heritage members today, albeit in a truncated fashion. Many of you long-term loved ones have been renewing Third Church for decades. We are so incredibly grateful for you. You see, renewing church for a new world does not outline a dramatic new reality. Rather, it states who we are and always have been. Semper reformanda, always reforming. As your mission study team digs even more deeply into its work this next month or so, and as you, some of you already have, and others will uh, help them in this task, I invite you to embrace the tension and face the future trusting that God knows where we need to go together. And God will let us in on, as Jeremiah states, plans for our future, to plans for our welfare, to give us a future with hope. Thanks be to God for this teaching from his holy word. Amen.